Yeah, it is our time on our Monday, as always, to chat uh, with the the story behind the name, to chat with an industry participant, whether it be here in New South Wales or in Australia. And we thought, tying it in beautifully with the fact that we're going to be in Mudgee later this week, we'll chat to a, a man who has been born, raised, bred in that Mudgee area. And now we regularly hear him on Sky Sports Radio providing information on his horses. His name is Cam Crockett. He's based now at Scone as a horse trainer. And I'm really keen to hear Cam's story. Good morning, mate. Welcome to Monday's Experts. How are you, mate? I'm well, I'm well. Are you nervous? Oh, not really, no. I'm all right. Do you like do you like talking about your story? Is it is it something that you get do you get time to reflect on where you've come from? Um not not really. Not a not a great deal anyway. I mean I'm happy to share it if anyone wants to listen. Well, you're going to be forced to share it, mate, for the next little period on Sky Sports Radio. Let's talk about uh, where you grew up. So, born in Mudgee. When were you born? No, I wasn't born in Mudgee, actually. Okay. I was born in Paddington. And, I mean, mum, mum and dad were in Randwick then. Dad was doing a lot of breaking in there. So, I, was only, I don't have any memories of that. I right. Came up with, dad came up to run Gunnawang Study in Golgong when I was about 18 months old. Then I moved to Mudgee. I think I moved to Mudgee when I was... In year two, so right, um, really a mudgy boy, yeah. So you, yeah, so you, you, even though you're the, on the the birth certificate it says Paddington, your memories come from Mudgy. What was it like growing up in Mudgy back then? Oh, excellent, mate. Yeah, it was, it's it's a beautiful place. I've got, I mean, all my best mates are there. Uh, my sister and my mum are still there. So the, my my closest family and Liz's parents are there. My wife's parents. So I mean, I. Loved. I haven't had much time to go back there lately, but it's funny because they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder, and it's it's very true because I miss the place a lot. What about growing up as a kid, mate, and growing up uh, with obviously Max? And we'll talk about Max a little bit later on. But your first sort of memories of the horse? I mean, obviously it would have always been around you. Well, I'm going to be. I'll be uh, brutally honest with you. I actually. Didn't like horses at all, and particularly racing, because, I mean, growing up, when you got mum and dad who work in racing, quite often if they were ever having a problem, it was it was sort of horse-related. So uh, we, myself and my sister, never really took to it until we got a bit older. Um, but first memories would have been... First memory that comes to mind for me would have been uh, out of Gurry, start riding a horse called... Uh, they got him off the... Used to be a fellow there called Jeff King got him off the um, abattoir truck, the nattery truck, and I used to ride him around the farm. So one of my first memories actually him falling over with me in a paddock and me having to come back to the stables without him. He made his way back without me. So that's one of my first memories of, of a horse, I think. Because of your, you, you sort of said, you know, that yourself and your sister, but you more importantly didn't fall in love with the horse straight away. Did that sort of, you know, was it not forced upon you, but you know how like, um, you know, when your parents love something and they really, you know, they, they would love to, I guess, aspire for you to, to love what you love. Was there any friction there? No, or- mum and dad, like mum and dad never forced our hand at all. It was always just, we were let do what we wanted to. And if we ever come back to it, which we eventually did, it was always going to be our own decision. But, the way I actually come to work in the stables was it was getting towards the end of year 10 and we had to do work placement and um, I actually thought, well, I don't like I don't like being told what to do, particularly by people I don't know. So I <laughs> elected to go to Dad's stable um, as 
work experience. And I remember our work experience, uh, whatever that module was, Mr. Kemp, and he said, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea. You probably want to try and sort of diversify a little bit just in case, you know, this doesn't end up being what you want to do. You've, you've got a bit of experience elsewhere. Anyway, I ended up out of Dad's, and I was only supposed to be mucking out boxes, but I was, I was riding breakers. So that's the way it all started. And just hooked straight away, or were there moments after that where you thought, oh, I still don't know if this is for me? What would you have got? And if, if that was the case, what would you have done if you hadn't have been a horse trainer? I don't know. I never, never, I've never really thought about it. Um, sort of started off more so as a breaker, but I guess there's not really been anything else on the cards for me from that point on. And no, no dreams or goals. What about growing up as a kid? You know, oh, growing up as a kid, I think I wanted to be an NFL player in America. <laughs> You never know what was around the corner, though, mate. People have dreams and goals, and they achieve them. All right, what was it about uh, working with your father at that time, uh, you know, from doing the school placement? It, so you were breaking in. And it, was it falling in love with the horse natural because of that process? Because it is quite an intimate process to break in the horse? It is, and sort of going through that going through that school with Dad, Dad, um, Dad had a real... Uh, affinity with a horse, like horses horses really, when he was breaking them in, they, they come to him and they loved him and probably more so taught me the horsemanship side of things and like to respect horses and sort of have a bit of a relationship with them, which I feel like I, I, I still do that through my training with most of my horses uh, and from there it was, it was actually a bit tricky for me to learn off that because like all father and son um, we, we sort of butt heads a bit but what made it harder with Dad was I feel like Dad was not – he was – I sort of refer it like if you look at a bloke like Andrew Johns, you can have thousands of people go through the same school and the same experience as a bloke like him, but they can't beat him because he is what he is. Mm. I feel that was the same. I feel that was very much the same with Dad when it come to breaking in. I felt like I was a good horse breaker, but I don't feel like I was anywhere near what he was or I could ever be because he was just someone who fell in line with something that they were gifted at, as well as was lucky enough to be taught how, how to do what, what they were gifted in, whereas there's probably a lot of people walking around with gifts that don't even know, that never fallen into that way of life, that lifestyle. Mm. So it was near impossible to learn from him, because he'd just say, do this and do that, and he'd be doing it, but it wouldn't look like he was doing anything. There'd be horses running around him, turning themselves inside out, and within five minutes they'd be following him around, and you'd try and do the same thing, but it was near impossible. So... I ended up actually probably learning to break in from Harry Meyer, who was working with Dad that, at that stage. It was a bit easier for me because I wouldn't talk back to Harry, and most people wouldn't because you'd sort of cop an earful back. So I got to watch Dad and learn learn through him more so from watching him than actually um, being educated by him in mm. that sense. So I come up, I was never as good as him, mate. He was he was one in a million, really. Yeah, and, and you find that too, especially with that relationship already, you know, and, and you hit the nail on the head there. With you, When you've got their old man, you can not talk back to the old man, but it's funny, you know, you, you can be taught by someone else and, uh, you know, you can you can absorb it just in a different way. And it's exactly the same thing you're absor- absorbing, but it's just that um, you know, that level of, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's adolescence really, is it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's just frustrating to watch him, to be honest, because he could have horses that you couldn't get going on the on the side rein and on the backing rein, and he'd go in there in five minutes, and he wouldn't have moved from the middle of the yard, and they'd be doing the work around him. So 
in the sense of breaking in, I, I was never I was never quite what he was, I don't think. But uh, ended up turning my hand to training later on down the track and sort of under Dad's advice, had to make a decision on which way I wanted to go, um, whether I wanted to be a trainer or a breaker. And for me, I, I always wanted to be a trainer. And he said, you sort of got to put yourself in one box or the other because you won't have enough time to do both. And uh, people if people see you as a horse breaker, they don't want to, won't want to send your horse to train unless they've got problems with them, which is 100% right. And I still get a few horses. I Not so much anymore, but sort of in the early days, I've got a few problem horses. But I don't really pick those up anymore, which is probably... In all, in all fairness, honestly, it's probably probably a better thing. What about when you uh, you had that conversation with? You've had that conversation with about becoming a trainer. You then become that trainer, and you're training there. So you, your first position was Mudgee, where you were based. Yeah, it was in Mudgee, and I remember the way it actually came about was we were breaking in a lot of horses for Guri at the time. Guri, Guri were fantastic to us. They they sort of set me up and got me on my feet, um, breaking in and sort of bought a house when we when we just before our first baby was born. And that that last year that we're at Guri, I actually broke my leg, so I was out for the first half of the season. The horse fell over femur, and Dad started to get a little bit crook towards the end of the year. So it sort of turned out that, well, basically, Harry Meyer had already sort of hung up his boots. So it sort of worked out that there was 50 or 60 horses to be broken in, and it's just not a one-man job. And we sort of, Dad had to do the first half of the season on his own. I ended up on my own second half. The season dragged out quite a bit and I still remember we had a meeting at the end of the year uh, with Jeanette who was looking after all everything for Guri which was fair enough on their part, we were probably lagging a little bit and when we left we had a decision to make and I just said to Dad, I think I'm going to have to turn it up and he said well you probably want to think a bit longer about it than half an hour because it's a, it's a massive decision and I said well what else can I do because Dad, like, as I said it was a two man job Dad was sort of not able to do it in his full capacity anymore. And I knew in my heart without Dad, I probably wouldn't be able to get a few of those horses going as well as what we should or in the top, more so in the time that we should. So I made that decision there to hang up the boots, breaking in for Guri. Uh, we, still had a, we still had a few for Kim Harding, so I'm very sort of thankful for her in those early days. I, when, I, when I stopped, I only had 10 horses to train, uh, had a mortgage, and sort of that mortgage was always planned around, as people will tell you, with your, sort of your income, which was great from Guru at the time, but that was going to be gone for the next season. That was a massive decision to make. I only had 10 very slow horses, but Kim Harding sort of stuck by us and we broke in a few for her. Um, she still supports mum to this day, so we've been lucky in that sense. But I, won't, I will say early days uh, training was... I was sort of questioning my decision a fair bit. We only had about 10 horses and a few breakers. And at one point, uh, to pay a mortgage, I had to borrow. We had to borrow some money off. I don't know if my mum knows this, but we had to borrow some money off uh, Liz's, Liz's mum and, and her father-in-law, Paul. So uh, we weren't going very well when we kicked off. And we had a we had a baby who was only a few months old. We just got married. So we're in a bit of a sticky situation. It was starting to become probably looking like I've made the wrong decision. But anyway, we stuck to it. We got through it at the end. Your old man at the time, when uh, you've obviously, you know, you're, you're making this fist of it. And do you think that, uh, like, was he, he was obviously always going to be supportive decision, but do you think that he really, really, he wanted you to go the other way? I, Dad was a funny, Dad was a funny, he was wired a little bit sort of differently to me. 
he always looked towards things of, of the, the negative outcome of possible outcome of your decision. So he always tend to play it a bit safe. Uh, and he, I mean, he gives throughout funny advice, Dad, because he was the one originally who told me you've either got to be a trainer or a breaker. But he was, he was very hesitant for me to, to give away breaking in. But I, I think like in hindsight, Dad had seen both sides, and becoming a successful trainer is one thing, and being able to win races is one thing. But to actually make money out of training racehorses is another, and it's it's not easy. So we, I mean, we're always we're always provided for through mum and dad, but I think without the breaking in, it would have been a struggle. So, I mean, he, he's seen he's seen both sides. I, I probably really had um, I have now, certainly, come out the other side, which is good, but it's, it's never easy. Any, any trainer will tell you that it's, it's not it's not the sort of... It's not a profession where you can wake up every day and know exactly where you're going to be in the next six months. You've got to rely on people. Uh, you've got to sort of... You can't do everything yourself once you get big enough. It makes it even harder. But you've also got to have loyal clients, which I've been lucky. I've had a fair few loyal clients, but at the end of the day, you've still got to win races, and, and you've got to rely on your horses to be good enough to do that as well. Mm. Mate, I want to ask you about it um, because I've seen it a few times on social media, and it's—I think it's fantastic, mate. It's—you know—that's why I brought up the reflection at the start of the, of the chat. Um, you miss him dearly, don't you, Max? Oh yeah. And. How how much did it affect you, mate, when when he passed away um, at seventy four? Um, it was at the time. Um, it's all right, mate. Know. You can take your time. Yeah. It's all right. It's tricky. Um, at the time, it was um, pretty. It sort of happened too easily, to be honest. Even one of my best mates in, in Mudgee said, you don't seem like you've been affected by it. And I think it, to some degree, in the early days, it didn't really settle in. Uh, you can imagine sort of how many people were ringing every day and still talking about their time with Dad. That went on for the best part of three or four months, probably longer. So probably didn't really um, sink in that much. I took a horse to Bathurst, and I still think it was probably one of the best, my best, one of my best training feats. Anyway, um, took Turcott there. He was untried past thirteen hundred at the time, and we won first up with him, the Soldier Saddle over fourteen hundred. It was actually his last win. He retired after that, and I thought it was probably one of my best training efforts. And um, you normally sort of expect the phone to ring. Yeah, and I, I, I led the horse in myself that day. I was on my own. And the phone did ring, obviously. So it was a pretty emotional drive home. Yeah. And um, from that point on, I mean, that was April, and his dad died in November. It sort of sunk in that day pretty well, yeah. And then it started to affect me for the next 12 months after that. So to make it harder, I sort of, a couple of months later, I'd moved to Scone. So dealing with a fair few things at once. Um, my wife moved to Scone in January. I never got there till May. So that was a, looking back on it, that was a pretty, pretty hectic six months. Um, mm. Sort of shaped me who I am now. I feel like I'm a different person now. Probably a bit stronger, but um, you probably need to be. Life gets a little bit harder as you get older, I think. 
Cam, it's funny you mentioned the phone call thing because the same thing happens to me. Like, uh, you know, and I often talk about Grandad a lot on this, probably this this particular segment because I love sort of hearing. There's so many layers to everyone's story, and and you know we, it is very computerised what we do. We come on, we ask about a horse, we say thanks, Cam. Chat to you next week, but you know I was the same on on Wednesday when that horse won that maiden at, at Gosford. I was in the car crying on the way home, and um, all because I just wanted to ring Grandad and and talk to him about the horse and stuff like that. So I think it's really good that you can reflect. And and also be you know brutally honest with you, um, talking to you here on the in the airwaves about it, mate. That must have been fantastic though. That in two thousand six you could get Iron Blue into the country championships, um, and the fact that you know he would have been able to see those early winners for you as well. Yeah, I, look, I've got to say that was my harshest critic, but at the same time, obviously biggest supporter. He'd be. The phone had ringed before the horse was even back to the enclosure, and it was one of three things. It was either to congratulate me, <laughs> to question me on why I did such a stupid thing for running it in a particular race, or to tell me to tell me to give the jockey an earful. So <laughs> when so that like that went on for the best part of ten years, um, and I remember it was funny talking about phone calls. Another thing that happened to me once I got the scone and I was sort of, as I say, starting to settle in that I'd lost that my life was completely changing. I had won a race earlier in July, and I have no idea how this happened, but I won a race in July, and it was with Sharp Hustler. It was my first Saturday winner. I stayed at Gerald Ryan's the next day. First time I'd ever done it. I travelled to Sydney, um, took him over the next day, and I just I had a feeling it's going to win. I, everything just lined up perfectly. The horse won. Immediately, my phone obviously rang. I feel it. I, I led the horse in and I could feel it buzzing in my pocket. I didn't answer it because I knew it was going to be dad. Anyway, later on, I got out in the car park. He rang me and we talked about it. And then I, um, I don't know how, but I managed to retrieve the voicemail from back in July. And he'd actually, this obviously, he died since then. And I listened to it. It hadn't been open because it was in my pocket at the time. And I'd spoken to him since. So I hadn't bothered to look back at it. And um, I listened to it and... All, all it said was, I mean, Sharp Hustler had been around a little bit. He'd been through a few stables before he'd come to me. He'd raced with a bit of success in Queensland, but we got him to win in town on a Saturday. And um, I opened it up, and all it said was, you're an effing genius what you've done with that horse boy. And then he hung up. So <laughs> I got that a lot later. Yeah. We're chatting with Cam Crockett here on Monday's Experts. Uh, Cam, uh, what is, well, I was going to touch on Sharp Hustler. Um, one I'll touch on too, uh, Barbus, who won the big race at Scone. We're, we're going back to, what, 2016 here, but, gee, it must have been a fill-up because I think they, it was backed from, like, 14s into an 850 price or 650 at one point. Um, but, of course, it won that big English challenge at Scone for you. Mate, there's, a, there's, a, there's actually a very nerve-wracking story for myself behind Barbas and we we were we were so confident in that horse. I still say to this day he's probably the best horse of train, but he had a lot of problems unfortunately. He went in the wind and he ended up having a having a decent lead. But I still say I remember when we first got him and we had him going and I wasn't riding at the time and one of my riders was leading and the other one got sick. So I was left in mostly with no rider and I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to ride work this morning. I had to ride work for years. And one of the horses had to throw a leg over was Barbas. And he was 16 hands high and he was a two-year-old. And I remember thinking to myself, this is one of the stupidest things I've ever done because he had, a, he had a bit of a mind of his own. And I got on him and I rode him out of the barn. And the minute he took sort of two or three strides out of the barn, I thought, 
this horse feels like he's six year old. He didn't feel like a two year old. Anyway, that was that was when we first got him going. Ended up obviously working out how good he was. He did everything but win a race in his first couple of prep. We got him ready for that two year old race, and I had a bloke working for me at the time. A bit of a bit of a funny character to say the least. He was a very good track rider, but he was a bit of a funny character. He'd been all over the place, and everyone knew him. And he sort of didn't come with any great reports except for how good of a track rider he was. Anyway, he was always no matter how you you'd pay him and his money would be gone the next day. And he, I remember we yelled this horse on the Sunday morning for the Friday and the horse went that good. He was adamant that he wanted to borrow as much money off me as he could to back it. And I, and anyway, me being me, I thought, well, I'll get it back. I'm his income. So he borrowed a fair sum of money off me and he backed it. Anyway, when it won, uh, next thing I went and I said to mum, I got a bit suspicious because, as I say, he had the greatest reports and I... To her, we had we have video cameras all through our stable, and I said, let's just check these cameras because this horse has gone like a rock. Anyway, went and checked them, and I've got no idea how, but for some reason, Mum had unplugged the cameras over the course of those three days going into the race. And I said, you're kidding. We had no we had no footage going into that run. Anyway, the footman, I said to Mum, are you sure you haven't unplugged this thing? Anyway, we worked out it was because she was the last one to leave. Her vehicle was there, and obviously she'd unplugged the camera, and when she Based in Scone now, you, you talk about that move over to Scone. Um, what's it like training up there, mate? I mean, obviously, the, the, the game has changed a lot uh, in terms of, you know, when you first started out at Budgie, we talk about prize money, infrastructure, and I think also the quality of horse. Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but the quality of horse has changed a lot too. I mean, you, you, you need horses uh, with a certain ability now to be winning anywhere in the state. Oh, definitely, mate. And I, like, I was at... Um Oh, where were we the other day? I think we are at Dubbo, maybe, and I was looking in the rear. There wasn't a horse that, if you liked its form, you couldn't back on its appearance. Mm. I remember when I first started, the dad could turn up, and I always reckoned Dad had a bit of an advantage. Because obviously, I mean, Dad, I don't I don't think that Dad ever rode a lot of track work for Tommy or Bart himself, but he used to have a lot of the horses uh, under their care. They were telling him what to do and what to feed. So he learned clean through them like that. I reckon we're a little bit ahead of the majority of country trainers, particularly the guys that are, you know, the older fashion guys who have been out at Canamble and, and Warren and places like that and hadn't had the opportunity to be under sort of guys Sydney. So you go out there and you look at horses, there'd be two or three that were close in the same position as Dad, been with um, Tommy or Bart or whoever, and they'd moved up to the bush when the breakers and that got left out. But, I mean, a lot of them were bush horses, you know. You wouldn't, you could certainly wouldn't be the pick of the yard. But when you go to those places now... Flat out to find a horse that doesn't look like a thing with water. So that, along with uh, better horses coming, and obviously you need better horses because you've got city trainers travelling, which I've got no farms with them. They have to do that. They've got owners who, who want to, you know, they want to win races as well. So if they can't win at the provincials or at the city, well, they've got to take them out to the country. It's that simple. 
So I think we've all sort of had to refine a little bit, and, and that means probably better horses as well. But definitely I look back and there's horses that you would have given their first gallop sort of five years ago and thought it'll win a maiden straight away. You take them now to their maidens and they struggle to win a maid at all. So it, it is it is a lot harder. What about dreams and aspirations, mate? Um, you know, looking ahead, what would you what should, what would you love to achieve? You've had a couple of runners in that country championship qualifier. Obviously, uh, this year with Pure Fuego, you had Soul Secrets as well in two thousand and nineteen. But what what's on the horizon? I don't know what's on the horizon anymore, mate. To be honest, so, I mean, I used to have ambitions to someday get to the city, but the way the way things are going now, I'm sort of coming to terms with the fact that's going to be extremely difficult. Um, it's even proving harder for people who are a lot further down the track in their career than what I am. But I mean, I'd be happy. Sort of, I've got I've got five kids and a family now, so I'd be happy. I don't know. It's a hard one. Like, obviously, you want to keep advancing, but you've got to be you've got to be realistic as well. Um, I don't know if I'll stay in Stone forever. Obviously, there's plans here on on the tracks being upgraded, things like that. But I've got to sort of factor in factor into my um, factor into my life that I've got five young kids as well and whether I want Scone to be where they live forever, I don't know. I mean, Scone is the best business decision I've ever made, for sure, but you start to look at life a little bit differently when you've got a family. And, and I mean, Mudgee is somewhere that I'd, if I ended up back at Mudgee one day down the track when they got older, I'd be happy. I, I, I don't know, mate. It's, sort of, it's something I have thought about on and off, but... At the moment, I'm sort of happy where I am doing what I'm doing. Obviously, want to get better. I always look to get better. I ask a lot of people questions about... I never think that I know everything. I think everyone, you know, most people are an open book. So I'm always going to try and improve. But where that takes me, I don't know at the minute. Well, I wish you success. Are you going to take many home to Mudgee on Friday? I think we nominated about 15. Yep. So it's always a, it's always a good meeting for us. Um, I always get a winner or two there, but it's great to go home. I said to the guys on the on the radio this morning, uh, Big Sports Breakfast, it, that, that muddy meeting, it's sort of, to me, it always snowballs into the rest of the holiday season. The atmosphere in Mudgee, is, there's nothing like it going into Cup Day. No. And I think, I think the whole town sort of, that's like a, that's like the kickoff, the prequel to everything else that's uh, rolling into sort of Christmas and then New Year's. So I'm looking forward to getting home Friday. Mate, uh, pleasure chatting to you for the last half an hour here on Sky Sports Radio, and thanks for being so honest and uh, and frank with us as well uh, on your life. Uh, you've certainly had a, a wonderful story, and may continue, mate. Thanks, mate.